good to see you guys. If we've never met, my name is Jay, part of the team here. You guys came on a great Sunday for a number of reasons. Um, every Sunday is a great Sunday, but uh, today you, you will notice the big hot tub in here. And if you're new to church, you're like, oh, dude, they didn't tell me. I should have brought my bathing suit. I didn't know it was hot tub Sunday. We have baptisms today, and um, we also have hot tub Sundays sometimes. So if you're new, come back. It's a, it's a good time. Um, yeah, baptisms. So at the end of our time together, we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a big giant party in here. We're going to celebrate um, some folks in our church who have encountered the risen Christ, and they want to publicly declare uh, to this church family that um, they have new life in Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that together. Yeah. Uh, it's also a great Sunday because um, we are, we're concluding, we're landing the plane on what has been like a five weeks long journey for us in a series that we've called the With God Life. And uh, five weeks ago when we started this journey, I told you all as a church that my hope was that this would be a five-week teaching series that would actually launch all of us collectively and individually into a lifetime uh, of difference, a life where we um, begin to see God not simply as one compartment in many compartments of our life, but we begin to experience God, see him as all of life that life is lived truly with God in deep awareness of his deep love for us and his um, presence in our lives at all times. And so today, as we conclude, I wanna talk about, share a few thoughts on thinking with God um, because our thought lives really are the thing that lead us forward into the future. So to do that, I'm gonna share a brief story with you. Has anybody ever gone on a night hike? Anybody ever done a night hike? They're awesome. They're really fun. Uh, the first night hike I ever did was, um, uh, uh, I, I don't see them here, but I've got a couple of friends here, um, Tim and Laura Gupta. Uh, they're, they're here usually maybe second service or the evening service. Anyways, um, I went with some friends, the Guptas included, who are part of our church many years ago on a night hike up uh, Mission Peak. Anybody ever done Mission Peak in Fremont? A night hike up there? It's awesome. And it was my first night hike ever. So, you know, we've got flashlights and the headlamp. Um, the sun is down and it's dark. And if you've never done a night hike before, it is exactly what it sounds like. You are hiking in the dark. And Mission Peak is about a three mile hike. Um, and you climb a little over 2000 feet up uh, this sort of rocky terrain. And I remember as we're climbing with the headlamp and the flashlight, all I'm thinking about is like the next step in front of me because it's really hard to see, you know? And I don't want to fall off. It's 21 feet of elevation. I don't want to fall off to my death, right? So I'm like hyper-focused on the steps in front of me. But then ultimately when we get to the top, this was my view. I'll show you the image. This is the view from the peak of Mission Peak. So if you've never done a night hike up there, well worth it, well worth it. It's an incredible view. Now, I, I share this with you because think about what is happening when you do a night hike. You are focusing all of your attention on the most pertinent and immediate details in front of you, as you should, right? Because focused attention on the details really matters. It's what keeps us safe, it keeps us alert, keeps us effective in some of the work that we do. But it ultimately, at the end of the day, like it wasn't about the details of the hike. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we did that night hike to capture the view. You know what I mean? The entirety of the experience. 
And so focused attention to details right in front of us really matter, but they matter only as much as they help us to experience the fullness of the experience. Uh, One scientist puts it this way, talking about how the human brain works. He says that unbridled lucidity or like really focused attention on the details can actually destroy our understanding of complex matters. So put another way, when we are hiking through a forest, let's say, paying close attention to what is immediately in front of us really matters. It keeps us from running into the trees. But the point of hiking through a forest is the entirety of the experience of the forest. And so there is a way in which we pay attention to the trees, but not miss the forest for the trees. Make sense? If you hike through a beautiful forest, And at the end of the experience, all you think to yourself is like, man, I sure did a great job missing all the trees. I did not run into a single tree. What an experience. (laughs) You've wasted your time. At the end of the experience, sure, it's a good thing you didn't run into a tree, but ultimately you wanna look back and say, what a forest, right? What a hike, what a view, what an experience. Relationships, especially the most meaningful ones, are like complex forests. They have twists and turns and surprises along the way. And it is true that we have to learn to see the trees along the way. But we have to do this without missing the forest. We have to live in constant awareness of the entire relational connection everywhere at all times. It's about the whole of the experience, not just making sure we're safe from the trees. Again, five weeks ago, we started this series and today we conclude this series, The With God Life. And as we conclude, again, I want to explore the possibility of making the shift from being people who simply think about God on occasion when we're not too busy thinking about other things to becoming the sorts of people who are thinking with God everywhere all the time. Now, again, our thoughts determine the orientation and the direction of our lives. This is why the writer Paul in the New Testament, he writes in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or in Ephesians 4, he says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. So according to the Bible, you and I can experience transformation, renewal through our thoughts. How does this work? Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter two, longer passage, but really helpful here. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit, the spirit of God within them, makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. And here's the key line. But we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. You have the, if you are a follower of Jesus, You you are not able to simply just think about Jesus. What the Bible tells us is you actually have the mind of Jesus. 
This does not mean you are Jesus, okay? Let's just be very clear here. I don't want like any crazy heresy bubbling up from Westgate Church. Like, Jay told me I am the Christ. I have come to rescue and save the world. No, you have not. You're just a human like me. But if you have said yes to Jesus, the scriptures promise that the spirit of God is in you. And Paul makes it very clear here that there is a way in which your mind, your thought life can be synchronized in unison with Christ himself. In other words, you can think with Jesus. Not just think about him, think with him in all things. In recent years, neuroscientists have discovered a phenomenon that they call brain synchrony. And brain synchrony, they've actually mapped this. Brain synchrony occurs when individuals begin to synchronize in conversation, in experiences, in relationship. And they've actually tracked and mapped, visually mapped, how their brain waves move. So I'll show you this next image. Uh, if you look, um, you have the next image there? Awesome, thank you, Roberto. Uh, if you look at this image, um, on, the, on the left, on your left, you will see those different lines, right? Red, blue, green. These are three individuals who are just going about their day. Maybe they're in the same geographic location, same physical space, but they're doing individual things. And you'll see the sort of discontinuity between the lines. The lines, their brain waves are just moving all over the place. But you will notice in the next image, when these two people, the blue and the green, begin to talk to one another, you will see the closeness of the lines. And even the third party, the red, when they begin to listen in on these other individuals in harmonious relational connection to one another, conversation, um, going about some sort of work or endeavor together, their literally they have mapped this. Your brain waves begin to sync up. This is called brain synchrony. They've mapped this when students are in a classroom and they're really engaged with their teacher, the brain processing waves align. When you go to a concert and you're really into the music, right? You went to, you're like, you're at the Taylor Swift concert and you're listening and she's just, she's doing the Tay-Tay stuff and you're like, oh my goodness, this is it. You and Tay-Tay, your brain waves are linked. You are closer to her than you think. You, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, you're all like one <laughs> together in unison. They've actually shown that when close friends are in conversation versus when people are in conversation with distant acquaintances, the close friends experience a sort of synchrony of their brain. One researcher puts it this way, that when people converse or share an experience, their brain waves synchronize. Neurons in corresponding locations of the different brains fire at the same time, creating matching patterns like dancers moving together. Our minds can align with one another. What this means is that our minds can align, can synchronize with the mind of Christ. You can think not just about God, it is possible for you and for me to think with God. And what it requires is a consistent ongoing life of conversing with God and sharing experiences with God. This is why throughout the series, we've been talking about talking with God. 
Last week, Mark talked beautifully about doing our life with God. This is why I'll show you the next image. I know many of you already have done this, but in case you haven't, this is why we have asked you as a church for the next year to practice the examine every single day. And what is the examine? If you don't know by now, you can just go to our website, scan that QR code, download a phone background as a prompt, and every single day, reflect back on your day or every morning, reflect back on the previous day with God. This is a way of synchronizing our minds with him. And as we spend consistent time with God, we will find our thoughts drawn toward the things that reflect the mind of Christ. That's how you will know that your brain is synchronizing, that you have the mind of Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is how we are formed into Christ-likeness. As we think with God and live in one mind with Christ, this is how we are changed into Christ-likeness. What's interesting to me is I think one of the reasons why so many of us, myself included sometimes, feel so ineffective in our, and we experience so much frustration in our discipleship to Jesus, like we, we really want to become more like Christ, but it's so hard to do it. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because rather than trying to live and think with the mind of Christ, often we just rely on willpower. It's just like, okay, I got to do it. I can do it. I can be more like Jesus. A few weeks ago, my life group, the guys in my life group, uh, and I, we, um, we went to Top Golf. And here's the thing. I am not a golfer. I'm not good at golf. In fact, until we went to Top Golf a few weeks ago, my only experience golfing was like Golfland and little putt-putt courses. I had never hit a driver before in my life. But all the guys in my life group are like, they're into it, right? So I'm like, okay, it's gonna be a good time. So we went. Um, so let me show you a picture of me golfing at Top Golf. So actually, I posted this on Instagram, and a buddy of mine. Uh, texted me or he wrote me on Instagram. He was like, dude, I legit thought you were at, I, th I thought you were at a batting cage because <laughs> your swing is like, you understand this is golf, not baseball, right? I was like, yeah, dude, I, I get it. I've never golfed before. <laughs> so it was my first time playing golf, like any form of golf outside of golf land. First of all, I can see why people get addicted to golf. It's like so satisfying. Okay, take it easy. <laughs> golf might be an idol for you. Relax. <laughs> Um, I can see it's, it's, I get it though. It's very satisfying. You know, I was just like, you know, I was just slicing balls like all the way to the right, but either way, so fun. But because I have never golfed before, what was I doing? I was relying on willpower. Like my buddies were like, take that club, get up there and just make contact. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And what am I doing? I'm like standing there and I'm thinking to myself, like make contact, swing hard, hit it far. You know, like make contact, swing hard, hit it far. My body's tense, I'm thinking so much, right? Like, okay, I need to pull my arms this way and whatever. And then it was terrible. I was terrible at it. <laughs> 
but it was so fun. I am relying on willpower because my body has not acclimated to the practice of hitting a golf ball. Does that make sense? It's just pure willpower. Now I'm making some contact, but it's utterly frustrating because I'm not launching the ball very far. Make sense? I was the worst, like by score, by far, I was the worst amongst the seven or eight of us that were there. The rest of the guys, all very solid, but my buddy Tyler Smith, who is sitting right there, he hates this, but we don't have a picture of him at Tolf Golf because the rest of us were too mesmerized by the fact that he was driving the ball like 280 yards or whatever, so no one took a picture. We're all just staring with our jaws dropped. So I asked him for a different picture. I was like, do you have a picture? Because I want us to all just marvel at the golf swing that is Tyler Smith's swing. <laughs> He's super embarrassed. <laughs> He hates this. Okay, Tyler is just, we're at Top Golf, and I'm like having a good time, but then also feeling really like terrible about myself. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's a real man. <laughs> like, what am I? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Tyler's just like launching the ball. He's just launching it, right? Now, here's what I will tell you about Tyler. He golfs. He actually golfs. Like a good amount. Tyler was not relying on willpower. Like, I watched him get up there time and time again. He's like shoving French fries in his mouth and then grabbing a club and just launching, cranking it, you know, like hundreds of yards. Why? Because for him, his body and his mind have acclimated to the practice of hitting a golf ball. He doesn't have to rely on willpower. He doesn't get up there thinking to himself, make contact, make contact, make contact, swing hard, swing hard. Okay, Tyler, hit it far, hit it. None of that is happening for him. He just grabs the club, he goes up, and he does the thing that his body and his mind is just used to doing. He is in what psychologists call flow. Now, that term, flow, was first coined by a 20th century Hungarian-American uh, psychologist named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and Csikszentmihalyi essentially described flow as the feeling of being in the zone, of being completely immersed in an activity when time sometimes feels like it's flying or it's slowing down. We're completely focused, and the experience is challenging, but it's also enjoyable at the same time. And he describes, Csikszentmihalyi describes flow this way. He says that flow is when actions and awareness are merged and you lose self-conscious rumination. Does this make sense? When I got up to hit that golf ball, all I was doing was self-conscious rumination. All I was doing was like, don't embarrass yourself. All these guys are watching. You're their pastor, for God's sake. Like, set an example. You know, like, I'm just doing all of that. It's like, okay, I'm so self-conscious. And then I'm just like swinging and missing and just shanking the ball left and right. It's terrible. But when you are in flow, none of that is happening. You are totally aware of the moment. You are physically, actively participating in a particular action but you are not ruminating self-consciously. Like, okay, I need, to, I need to talk this way so God can hear me. I think God would want me to do this, X, Y, and Z. I think that the, right, it's, that's not happening. What is happening is you are just experiencing flow. Your life is just wrapped up in the life of Jesus. 
It's like your life and his life become the same life. This does not happen overnight, by the way. Like, no matter how badly I wanted to, I couldn't show up to go- Top Golf tomorrow and think to myself, well, I went to Top Golf that one time. I think I'm going to be awesome now. That's not how it works. What would it require of me? I would have to go to Top Golf every day for the next 10 years. <laughs> so that's what I am committing to. <laughs> so if anybody wants to support my growth as a golfer. Come talk to me afterwards. (laughs) Look at what Paul says, Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For here's the key. You died. Like, In baptism, what we will party and celebrate in a few moments, this is in a strange way, it is death. These brothers and sisters of ours will proclaim to all of you that they are dying today. But they are dying in order to experience new life. And what is that new life? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. This is what it looks like when we experience flow in Jesus. In Paul's words, it's not just that our lives are hidden with Christ. It's that Christ becomes our life. This is what it means for Christians to live in Christ. Your life is not your life. It is Jesus living in and through you. One writer, Jim Wilder, he puts it this way. There is a large difference between thinking about God being with us and thinking with God about our reality. When we think back about what God wanted in a past moment, we can feel remorse. But thinking with God changes our initial reactions. It changes our character. This is what we want, is it not? We want to live life with God in such a way that the life we live is Christ himself. We don't want to face circumstances and situations as we always do and think to ourselves in hindsight, man, I regret that. I should have... I should, I should have known better. I should have had more willpower. I should have just made X, Y, and Z decision. What we want is to see every experience of life with God present in the present moment. To think not just about God, but to think with him in all things, in all situations. Um, a couple weeks ago, our friend John was here speaking in the morning And he gave this beautiful example about when you're in conversation with people, that if I am in conversation with my wife, this happens in our home all the time, Jenny and I are talking, there is a particular type of conversation we are having, but then sometimes my children are in the room. 
And when my children are in the room, it's not so much that we hold back or we whatever. It's that our awareness of them impacts this conversation. It's that how I converse, how I carry myself, the example I want to set, so on and so forth. These things all play a part. And I think when we think about our life with God, when we think about our thought life, when we think about the way we engage the world and all of our relationships, we typically think about it this way for most of us. I'll show you the next image. We think that life is about me and my various interactions with work, family, friends, with my grief, with my joy, and then sometimes with God. That's how we typically think about our thought life and just about life as a whole. But this is not what thinking with God looks like. Thinking with God, living life with God, the with God life looks like the next image. It looks like God present with you all the time, in all moments, in every experience, in every relationship, in every thought, in every action, in every motivation, in every behavior. God is with you, and that affects, and and it colors, and it frames how you think about every interaction, every single thought. It's not that we go to work and family and friends and our joy and our grief and then sometimes we go to God. It is that we are with God as we interact with work and family and friends and our joy and our grief and on and on. This is what life with God looks like. And it's possible. This is the invitation For the last five weeks, if you caught nothing, this image is the invitation. I feel bad now because we could have saved five weeks. I could have just shown you this image and said, just do that. Just that. That is it. Right? That's it. I'm going to invite Mark and the team to come back up. We're going to sing and respond together. And then we're going to celebrate new life and baptism. A couple of months ago, a few months ago, I was on a flight. Um, I forget where where I was flying to. But I was on a flight. And uh, it's funny, Mark told the story about a flight. God God seems to do things in these small enclosed spaces of airplanes, you know. I was on a flight. And there was an older woman sitting next to me. And we take off and we're mid-flight. And it's just quiet. We're kind of minding our own business. And then this old woman has an iPad. Um, old is offensive. I don't know why I keep saying that. This wise woman um, opens an iPad. <laughs> Seasoned, experienced woman opens this iPad. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to like read a book, watch a movie, whatever, right? What people normally do on iPads. But this woman, she opens her photos app on her iPad. And she just starts scrolling these images. And immediately I can tell there are these pictures of herself and some other adults. And then um, consistently throughout the the images are these uh, young children, these two young children. 
And I probably should not have been a voyeur watching her photos, but I was just like, you know, she's right there. So I was like, oh. So I just said something. I was like, and this is kind of a silly question, you know? I was like, oh, are those your grandkids or something? And um, she's like, yeah, those are my grandkids. It's a big, giant grin on her face. So just, I, I tell her, I was like, man, those kids, I've got kids similar ages, you know? They're not my grandkids, my, my grandkids. But uh, man, now you're making me miss my kids and tell me about your grandkids. And so she starts telling me about them. And here's what was so interesting to me. She was on that plane heading to go see these grandkids. And in my mind, there was a part of me that thought, you're going to see them in however many hours we're about to land. You're going to see them. And yet there is something in you right now that so desires and longs to be with them that you cannot wait till our plane lands. And so we start talking and she says to me in no uncertain terms, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but essentially she says to me like, yeah, I'm thinking about them all the time. You know, like I can't stop thinking about them. They're always on my mind. Some of us know that really famous verse in Jeremiah some of you have it on coffee mugs, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That word for plans, the best English translation, because plans make us think of like blueprints, you know? Actually, the best word, the best English word for that Hebrew word plans is actually thoughts. God says, I know the thoughts I have for you. Remember, this was written, God says these words thousands of years ago at a time when his people were exiled. They they were driven out of their land as punishment for absolute wrongdoing. This is not a time when God's relationship with his people was like really good and vibrant and healthy. This is a really dark period in Israel's history. And yet, even still, in that moment, in that darkness, God's people were on his mind. And that's true for you and me today. In spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, the various ways in which we constantly and consistently fail, we are on God's mind. I never, ever quote the New King James here. I don't think I've ever done it before, but the the New King James translation does actually get at this point in this verse. The New King James translation of Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You are on God's mind. When you woke up this morning, you woke up to a universe in which the great designer and creator and maker of that universe, even in the hours while you were in slumber, he was thinking about you. That's the world you woke up to this morning. God thinks about you. You are on his mind. He has specific thoughts about you. And his invitation is that you would think with him. That you would open yourself up to the possibility 
That God is not simply a compartment of your life, but that his desire is to be your life. That every thought, every intention, every motivation would be with him because he is already with you. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate baptism. These brothers and sisters of ours who have experienced death to the life of loneliness and isolation, a life without God, and will arise from these waters celebrating the gift that they now have new life, a life with God. So we're going to sing and respond, and then we're going to party and celebrate new life together. But as we do, I want to invite you. Maybe there is someone in this room today. You didn't sign up for baptism, but you have never done it. You've never publicly declared, I am dying to that old life where I am all on my own, and I want to be raised anew in the new life, the life that is Christ in me and through me. If that is you, and you're like, well, Jay, I didn't bring shorts or a bathing suit or anything. Our team is ready. We've got everything you need. So if you've never been baptized, and today might be your day, there's no pressure. Don't let emotional coercion take you here. But if you sense God by his spirit saying, man, today's the day. I need to get baptized. That's Jesus's command. Go and baptize all nations. If you want to be baptized today, let's do it. So if, if you sense in your, in your gut, in your heart, in your mind, today is your day, then during this next song, just go into the prayer room here, and our team is there, and they'll talk to you, get you set up. They've got everything you need, okay? So if you've never been baptized, but you want to be baptized today, um, we'd love to do that with you. Let's all stand, sing, uh, and respond together.